0: That's who. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, weekday morning seven until ten a.m. With Jay Query, it's Kevin Bowen with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Kev, welcome to the show.
2: Boy, this might this might be the most horrifying intro that uh, that I've ever experienced.
0: Well, let me make it uh, worse. Then, hey, Kev, if you were he and she back in the day, for example, would you <laughs> listen to Keith Sweat or was there another artist of your choice that you would cue up?
2: You know, for for a moment there, I was waiting for the Mike Wells voice crack to happen about mid mid um, <laughs> effort there by you, like it was a Friday afternoon there. And then I thought the other thing I thought was, wait, is Paul Anka going to fall in here? Is this JMB when when Maddie was pregnant with Rosie? Oh, no, uh, no, no, no,
0: no. I'm I'm, I'm uh, I, I kind of want the information that that obviously something took place prior to that time. The Hean and Shean for Kevin Bowen. What was the go to? What will you cue up when you knew that you're about ready to close the deal, and all that you needed was a little background sound for the moment? What was?
2: Yeah, it? I, I, I maybe it's my generation. I don't know if that was like a, an absolute like necessity. What the hell are you nerds doing then? What? <laughs> I, I think you just if you're in the mood, you just kind to do. I mean, you just, you just go for it. You didn't have to. You didn't
0: have to set the mood. Are you serious? you never had to set the mood
2: i i guess i didn't really attempt to set the mood man, maybe that if i would have done that maybe i could have had part, a little bit more success part of growing up uh,
0: part of growing up part of growing into a man was setting the mood don't tell me
2: you missed that part of growing into a man was setting the mood uh, yeah I, <laughs> I can't say that the lights were dim, Nothing, you know, the candles were on, and I'm scrambling through. All right, no, 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 no I
0: no Shy, no, uh, oh, maybe 112, no, I mean, nothing like that, seriously.
2: Honestly, I feel like, like, the boys, the men, like, pretty Ricky action, they all just had like, issues with them, um, you know, out of the recording studio that now I feel like all their music's like, uh, are we allowed to listen to that, or is that like... Well, that's hey, Brian Brian Foreman
0: activity. Brian Foreman just checked in via Twitter and says that Kevin's right. No one sets the mood anymore. That makes me sad. That's a rite of passage right there. You had I, I, to be able to set the – that's part of closing. That's part – is yeah, setting I mean, the mood. The, Nobody set – you just maybe. guys – what, do you guys just walk through the door and go at it? That's what happened?
2: Yeah, maybe it's the Reds' bullpen and there are issues with with me and the old closing department. But, yeah, I I don't – I mean, you know, you're watching a movie, whatever, uh, but I I don't think there was a – was it was that that's a Basic Instinct
0: Was Basic Instinct that set it up? I mean, that's what I find in Basic Instinct. I mean, Michael Douglas walks in with his V-neck sweater on and no undershirt and just rolls in the room and just, like, they start going at it. Is that kind of how you guys, that's what happened?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wish it was that easy. Uh, no, probably not. That probably doesn't paint the, the, the exact picture. But as far as, like, actually saying, all right, boom, I'm going to, you know, play this out and cue up this song and then that song, I can't say that was ever in the uh, wow. in the
0: game plan. Man, I'm shocked. I had no idea that your generation didn't have to set the mood. That makes yeah, me sad. I don't
2: know. Maybe maybe uh, maybe
0: Blake Blake will be different. Oh, I, I think he knows by hanging with me all my life what would be the go tos. <laughs> uh, if he all you had yeah. to do is go in like in, and hang out during the JMV takeover, if I rolled some silk or H Town or Teddy Pendergrass. That that's how I would set the mood. Luther Vandross. Like I give you a great example. Uh, the Loverman Jerry Wade has a night show on, on one of our um, uh, as a part of our stations here at Radio One and Urban One, WTLC. He sets the mood every single weeknight. I should say Monday through Thursday. I believe on weeknights. Like that. That's setting the mood to me right there. I didn't know that your generation didn't set the mood, and Generation whatever this is now, no longer sets the mood. I'm upset about that.
2: You know, B- Blake will be turning back the clock. Ron oh, yeah. after prom coming up this spring. He'll be oh, dialing up. Oh, what do you say the guy's name is? Let me lick uh, you up
0: and down. he would be some silk queued up there and ready to go. What do you say? Stop. That was just a little I'll be sure. Man, nothing, Kev. Wow.
2: Wow. I, again, I, I don't, I don't want to speak to the entire generation, hmm. but uh, I guess Brian has backed me a little bit on this. I, he yeah, does. I don't think that is something that has
0: been in the repertoire. I'm shocked. Absolutely <laughs> shocked, right there.
2: Yeah, this so. is probably the maddest that you've that you've been. It
0: is. The- I'm no. It's not even uh, mad. It's kind of disappointed. You know.
2: <laughs> God, I feel like I'm your son now.
0: Well, and, and I can transition here into a more disappointment. Because I, I I've told you this before, I am so sick and tired of drama and soap operas and circuses and just completely unnecessary ridiculousness that has followed you know this this organization around certainly for the past six years as we well know. Seems like every single year there's always something. It just absolutely wears you out. And yet again we find ourselves and completely unnecessary by the way. Because what transpired with the. Jonathan Taylor's side was going to happen, Kev, right? It was going to happen regardless. And then Jim kind of sets the mood for that, and then here we are.
2: Yeah, I think that's pretty well said. You know, it feels like I get like the first week of training camp annually, and I'm like, God, that was wild, or that was crazy. And, and again, I feel like I've said that for the last half dozen years, and certainly this one, in a much different light than what we're used to, especially the type of player that is going through this, and a guy that – you know, I think organizationally, um, is, was, I don't know if we're using past tense yet, was very beloved. And obviously, you spent a really high draft pick on him, hoping that he would be a big part of your future of this rebuild, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it's kind of wild to think, John, that, you know, since, I guess, Naheem Hines last fall, uh, you've had three guys, again, three guys that this organization really, really likes and liked all asked to be traded. And Hines and Gilmore and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that doesn't. I I can't recall from you know 2010 when I started covering the team to you know 2021. I I can't recall three guys even asking to be traded. And then you know we'll see if Taylor it's followed through on. But you know three guys that the organization really really likes. I mean, this is not like. You know, whatever. Uh, Okay, hey, Jerry Hughes. Yeah, it hasn't you know worked out here. Well, I I can get the Gilmore stuff though,
0: Kev. I get the Gilmore thing um, more. You know what I mean? I get the Gilmore part of it. I mean, at his age, his position, I can see it. Um, yeah, Hines, you're right about that. I think Hines certainly in this, this Taylor case is, is probably stuff that, uh, that you can go on with that. But, uh, Gilmore, I mean, you can kind of see it. Uh, it was sketchy. He wanted to go someplace where he can win, and then you know, I, how much are you going to win this year? I can kind of see that part of it.
2: Well, that right there I think sums up the franchise. He sure, you He wanted to go right. to a place where he could win, and, and that's the issue. I mean, the the state of the franchise over the last 10 months has been not certainly not a winning franchise. And, you know, for Hines and and Taylor, obviously those guys, for different reasons, um, didn't want to be here for Naheem, and and Jonathan appears to be in a similar boat. So I I think it's just, um, it's got to be a harsh reality for Jim Irsay to kind of look at his franchise in that light, because in his ownership, I don't think we've seen that. And it's the reality of the situation that you're at, and that's on top of the obvious numbers that we've talked about, of course, for years now, of you know not winning the division title since 2014, and know only one playoff win in that time frame as well Uh, you add all that up and it it just kind of follows the line of last season which you know in my opinion was the most disappointing embarrassing season we've seen in in quite some time
0: yeah you know it's funny too and if you want to follow uh, the blueprint of how you screw up the most exciting most highly anticipating training camp since 1984 this is exactly how you do it they're following that blueprint aren't they
2: Boy, that's a that's a great point. I mean, the lines for day one of training camp, I haven't seen anything like yeah. it. And, and overall, I would say just the crowds I've seen out there at Grand Park, um, it, it's unlike anything I've I've seen. And it, it's quite the first impression on Anthony Richardson as well. I mean, I, I go back to the times that Richardson's been asked about Jonathan Taylor throughout the offseason and that combination, and that you know duo in the backfield, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, eyes would light up and. Uh, you know, so eager and excited and probably relieved to kind of have that next to him uh, for however long he's going to play in this rookie season. and now that's obviously serious in question, serious in doubt. So um, yeah, the, the the hard knocks feel to it all, you know, typically, when those storylines dominate your team, that means the product on the field is pretty bad. And obviously it was pretty bad last season, really, really bad last season. And right now, you know I, I don't I don't think anyone's very confident and this team went in whatever more than six or
0: seven games. So Kevin Bowen, morning show, Kevin and Querry out at Colt's Camp in Westfield the Grand Park coming up again tomorrow from seven until ten a.m. with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Can you imagine what we thought the the spot where you were in thinking about this this football team, uh, you and and obviously the fans out there, me, whomever, when our heads were hitting the pillow on Christmas night. The year before last, after that Arizona game, what we thought about this team and their future compared to from that point until now, what we have seen is absolutely mind-numbingly amazing in all the wrong ways.
2: Yeah, that is that, that is crazy. Um, hey, I, I haven't thought about it in that light, but yeah, I mean when you mention that, you know, it's whatever ninety-eight percent chance of making the playoffs and trending in the direction where you kind of find ways to win games in different ways late in that season, and and then for the Raiders game to happen, and then obviously uh, the debacle there in the season finale uh, from a from a Jacksonville point, and then for the rest of the season to play out um, like it did in 2022. Yeah, it's it, it's quite the downfall and and the demise, and again, so foreign to this fan base. And um, you know, if you're you know someone that's you know, really 35 years or younger, you, you aren't used to this at all. I mean, that, that's not something that we're used to with this franchise. And that kind of goes back to when the Ursae, Jim Ursae, uh took over as as owner there in the you know mid to late 90s. And uh, it, it's formed for him as well. And, and now you have obviously an attempt at hope and trying to change things up. And um, what the support looks like for Anthony Richardson now moving forward, um, I think has always been a major major topic and this Taylor news and how it plays out will certainly have serious impact on that.
0: Kevin Bowen is with us. I get back to it. this is something I think Zach Kiefer had right in in an article a column if you will article with the the Athletic you know about you know, Gilmore and Hines and now Jonathan Taylor. Now would you factor in this as being a toxic work environment? Or were these just situations like Jonathan Taylor's just wanted to get paid more? I don't know if I'd view that as tight now, but I wouldn't view that as a, a toxic maneuver and measure to take to get the hell out of here. Uh, Gilmore obviously needs to expedite this winning thing because of his advanced age and the position in which he's played. And then I guess you could view Hines that way. But would you view the, the environment over there as toxic, you know, given what has been presented with guys that have wanted to bail from this organization recently?
2: yeah I mean toxic's a pretty big word. I mean, I think it's a pretty juicy word i i I think uh, you know when I hear that i had i think of like a college program and whatever seven or eight guys wanting to transfer out of the program, I guess in a way, trade requests are a bit like that if you want to look at it in that light. Um, I guess I would summarize it as the whole culture that's been drummed up is certainly there's a lot of fluff with that, and it's certainly not built on you know Indiana limestone if you want to go down that path, and, and it's often something that Ballard has mentioned. I mean, Ballard has mentioned so many times, taking care of players, making sure the players are happy. Players, players, players. They come first, all of that. And clearly, you know, you've had some very important players, whether it's your own on-field problem contributing to not wanting to be here in Gilmore's case, or its usage, or its finances. You know, Taylor's probably the one that has the most um, – he's the one that probably brings up culture, philosophy, than anybody else. You know, you think back to Taylor's comments in June, and I think it's important to go back to June because, you know, since then maybe there's been a little bit more of a a health element thrown into this, if you want to believe the back injury situation or not. Um, But back in June, the biggest talking point Taylor brought up on several occasions was, you know, I know how this organization has operated. They reward their own. I mean, honestly, I guess it falls in line with a lot of Jim Ursay's comments from Saturday night. Ursay was super defensive in the treatment of Colts players and this and that, et cetera, et cetera. And that was what Taylor was saying back in June. And now the fact that the Colts are kind of going back on that and that the blueprint that they have built under Chris Ballard, I think, is being challenged. I, I would assume Shane Seiken is part of that challenging I think that that is where the confusion comes into play. And that's why Taylor is so frustrated by this, because they paid a running back in Naheem Hines. They paid guys coming off injuries and Quentin Nelson and Shaquille Leonard sense, And the fact that, unless I'm missing something, but I believe Ursay said this, I want to say this to Stephen Holder, like they haven't even offered a contract to Taylor. You know, I I think it's fair to say that from a negotiation. No, they,
0: they want him to prove it that's that's what they want they want him to prove it this year
2: and i, I guess well we have to ask you
0: and everybody else is, is that fair in this case to jonathan taylor making him prove it in the final year of his deal
2: yeah and it's a great question i i think you could go on both sides of it um you know health is the biggest unknown in all of this like i, I again i don't know his health status um, you know, there's wild reports on what the ankle issue has and the amount of work that still needs to be done and the back injury, and he said, she said, and all that. So I guess if you put the health element to the side, I do think Taylor deserves at least a contract offer. And again, by all accounts, it doesn't even seem like there is an offer for that because, um, you know, if you're able to front load, again, put itself to the side, if you're able to front load a three-year contract for Taylor, you keep him around during Anthony Richardson's most critical years of development. He's on the timeline that Richardson is currently on in the sense of you make your first big decision with Richardson after year three. That's when you would pick up that fifth-year team option. And again, the final part of this, I guess for me, is and this is what's so different from Marshall Falk and Edron James, two guys that obviously Ursay brings up a lot when talking about running backs. I said this earlier today to to Jake. I don't get the Falk and Edge comparisons with Taylor in this instance. You know, when you moved on from Falk, you had Marvin Harrison, you had Tariq Glenn, and then you drafted Edge. So it's not like you just totally abandoned the support for Peyton Manning after year one. You still had a whole lot of support for him. And then obviously you fast forward to Edge when he moved on. Certainly Edge was much deeper into his career. He came off a torn ACL from several years earlier um, you know, Taylor doesn't have that. He's much younger. And when you said by the edge, you still drafted Joseph Adai in round one the very next year. And look at all the Hall of Fame, whatever, Ring of Honor type guys under offense from Marvin and Reggie and Dallas and Star Glenn and Jeff Saturday, et cetera, et cetera. That is light years ahead of where you are at right now with Richardson. Richard, I mean, name the skilled players that Anthony Richardson's no. currently working with.
0: Hey, Kev, I think all you have to say is Peyton Manning. That's it. And even in his, his, his younger years, obviously first getting started, all you have to say is Manning. Because I think everybody, right, knew and felt they knew what they were getting. And in this case, you look at Anthony Richardson, it's a huge mystery. You don't know what you're going to get. So, so you want to surround him, beyond? yeah, you would like to surround him with the best support possible for growth and leaving Jonathan Taylor out of this, especially in a year in which he should be playing, he's still under contract and, and, and hoping that Deion Jackson and, you know, and, and Hall and anybody else, even Zach Moss, for that matter, is going to be able to, to help him out in that category offensively is foolish to me.
2: Yeah, we had Reggie Wayne on our show earlier today and and I asked Reggie, yeah. You know, okay. Take it back to 2012 and what you were trying to provide Andrew Luck in year one. You know, because Reggie could have walked after that 2011 season. He he came back here. And obviously, Luck again, you know, like Manning, different stratosphere than Richardson exiting college from experience and NFL projection and all of that. But and I asked Reggie, kind of, okay, what you know, what are you trying to tell your own room now with with Richardson? And, and Reggie made it very clear just how vitally he feels like important it was for Andrew to have him early on in the sense that Reggie said to him, Hey, I'll handle the offense. Whenever you feel comfortable, come to me in that rookie season and you take the reins over. And Reggie said it took him till like I think it was about November, he said, where Luck said, Okay, I feel good. You know, I feel like I've got my feet underneath me, you know, I'd like to whatever be the be the front leader guy of this offense. And, like, again, that presence is nowhere to be found from the skill positions with Richardson at all. And so it's so much that you're putting on his plate along with leaving that cover barren. And, again, I just don't even think the Falk and Edge comparisons are anywhere near ones that you can even make towards Ah, Richardson. You're right. The skill groups are totally different. And, yeah, he was just taking three spots behind Peyton and Luck. But 13 starts at for a six and six Florida teams a lot different than Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning had in their respective college.
0: Yeah, yeah there's, I mean, there's, to me, there's zero comparison certainly with Manning and none to be made with Luck because everybody was sure there were. Th- that's why. That's why we look at this camp being the most highly anticipated because you knew with Luck what you were going to get. That's at least how you felt, and the same with Manning. And I know things back in the Manning era were different, but there is such a mystery with Anthony Richardson. I mean, it is such a boom or bust type of view that you have, you know, on this particular quarterback. That has everybody of interest. And again, I think you have to support him as best as possible. I mean, I mean look at Shane Steichen last year as the O.C. in Philadelphia. I mean, look what they were surrounded with to help expedite And create a season as we saw from Jalen Hurts. So, I'm not talking about Super Bowls or NFC titles. I'm just talking about, you know, watching a guy grow and be competitive and give people hope around here. Wouldn't you assume that you would have to be at least somewhere in the vicinity of trying to track down as many proven players as possible? Wouldn't you want to surround it? I mean, you can't just bring your garden variety guys in here at running back to help. Wouldn't you want somebody that's been there and done that? I would suggest yes because even a year ago in Philly they were surrounded by guys and that is a much different situation than here um, even with the guidance of Steichen. So yeah these are all things that I, I fail to truly understand regarding how they value right now Jonathan Taylor.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I know I've mentioned this to you before but considering the topic it's probably worth bringing up again. I mean when you talk about quarterbacks that are most often compared to Richardson NFL wise it. it seems to be Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. And the psychic element probably plays into that. Yeah. Josh Allen more of you know how his college career went at Wyoming. Well, if you look at the trajectory of Allen's career, I mean, it skyrocketed once they made that move for Stephon Diggs. And if you look at what Billy did last year, yeah, I mean, they had Devontae Smith. I mean, Devontae Smith is, you know, an unbelievable college wide out and top 15 pick, et cetera, et cetera. He'd
0: be number one here like, right now.
2: Sure, sure. They go out and obviously feel the need to get A.J. Brown. You know, again, kind of go above and beyond that. And that's where um, you look at the support and the development. I think so many times all we do is just talk about the drafting of a quarterback and what we fail to focus on is, again, internal development and the support. And you've got to make sure that personnel-wise, you give yourself a chance. It's why Jacksonville did stuff that everybody probably thought was ridiculous last year in paying for Christian Kirk like they did and paying for Zay Jones and paying for Evan Ingram. In a vacuum, people ripped those deals. They're like, what? This makes no sense. That is way too much money. Those are overpaid. That's the epitome of paying you know, A money to C and B players in, in free agency. But Doug Peterson and company knew that they had a massive year on their hands to try and get Trevor Lawrence right. Because if you don't get these guys right in year one, year two, year three, maybe year four – then you're done and you got to re- reset at the franchise and jacksonville you know consider or you know did something probably a little bit out of the ordinary and again something that a lot of people criticize and they look like they're going to get the last laugh with that right now you're anthony richardson and all of a sudden taylor you know is gone and Pittman potentially tests the open market next spring i mean you would walk to jacksonville to have that skill group in Indianapolis,
0: what's interesting to me is you, know, you saw the evolution of Jalen Hurts a year ago. and We make these comparisons because Shane Steichen was at the helm as OC of the Eagles last year with this offense, and you know a lot has been made about you know the whole running back by committee thing. And I always argue this: you know, Miles Sanders had over 1,200 yards for them, you know. And this running back by committee, there's no doubt that Hurts had had 700, but I don't think anybody expects to see that from Anthony Richardson this year. And then you know you talk about the other two guys, I believe it was Gainwell and and Boston Scott had much less than half of the type of yardage that Miles Sanders gave them. so To me, it's going to be clear, especially given the circumstances at a much lower level here, that you have somebody to count on. They needed Sanders. We'll see if they need him this year because now you're going to try DeAndre Swift and some others, and we'll see if that works out. But Last year, for them to get to where it was necessary to get to a Super Bowl, to have that type of year, they needed that clear-cut rushing ability by a running back that they got from Sanders.
2: Yeah, and that you know the whole Steichen aspect to it all uh, is just kind of a mystery to me. Because, and the playbook's going to be it, thin
0: it, as hell, too, right, Kev? The playbook's going to be a hell of a lot thinner than it was there. I get that part, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, when you go off of the timeline of comments, I mean, you go back to Ballard's comments in January, and he repeated... The phrase that he now has repeated quite often. And, you know, no matter what position these guys play, I pay good players. And I think you repeated that, if I'm not mistaken, at the season inning press conference when asked about Taylor. And you go off of Ursay's comments in March at the owners' meeting. Even, you know, and I probably have to go back and, and look, but I'm sure during the draft there was some mention of the Taylor Richardson combo from Jim and from Chris. And those two obviously were two very key decision-makers in the drafting of Taylor in 2020. And that was the COVID draft. You know, Ursay's on Zoom encouraging Chris to trade up in the second round after taking Pittman to then take Taylor after that as well. So what has changed since then? And what has changed since those comments even earlier in this calendar year? Well, the most obvious answer to that is Shane Steichen. Agree, And that's where – I, I, that's where I'm just thinking to myself, how much of this is head coach influence here at play? Unless Ballard's changed
0: his philosophy here and is starting to change that. You can't do anything about left guard, can't do anything about linebacker, right? Right now, and Hines is gone. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe Chris Ballard's changing his philosophy.
2: Right, which, you know, again, which would be a little bit of a different tune than obviously he had back when the season ended. Exactly. You know, and was that a you know, coming to Jesus moment, if you will, with the yes. conversation or is that, you know, looking Shane Steichen in the eye and be like, all right, this dude knows a whole lot about the offensive side of the football in the modern day NFL game. I've got to listen to him and make sure that, you know, we adhere to what he wants to do moving forward. Cause he, it's his offense and he's a guy calling the play. Kevin
0: Bowens with us, 7 until 10 a.m. He and Jay Cavia from Colts Camp up at Grand Park in Westfield coming up tomorrow. So, uh, Reds and Cubs tonight, does it mean automatic L if Stuart Fairchild's in the lineup?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know. What, can somebody look up the numbers? When Stuart Fairchild is in the lineup for the Reds, how well do they do?
2: Yeah, I think I'd rather have Stuart Little in the lineup. We than got, we got a Newman, a
0: Senzel, there. and a Fairchild lineup tonight. It doesn't no give Day me much of a sports arousal. That right? What's that?
2: Did I see no De La Cruz in the lineup?
0: No. Is that right? Yeah, he was, he's was. he been a windmill here lately. I think they're going to give him a breather yeah. tonight, right?
2: You know, I thought last night they just I, – I, I think there should be a Major League Baseball rule. If you give up more than six runs in the first three innings, you have to stay in for the rest of the game. Micah's <laughs> like punishment. I'm like, I'm like why, you know, why do you, you – know, 13 why do you gotta,
0: earned runs for Ben Lively last night.
2: <laughs> yeah just keep lively in there why do you have to waste the bullpen during that you know i, te- I text
0: ducker this morning i said hey man you have much better stuff than mailey does <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is great that is great yeah
0: uh, uh hey by, by the nice. way too yeah, man um hey, dyked in in his is there a slaughter or a mercy rule stuff tell that nerd to be quiet that's just such, that's such a cardinal fan didn't hear anything from me on monday night did we Anything from him Monday no. night? Oh, and then, okay. y- yakking it up last night. Tell him to, su- to shut the nerd stuff down. All right, you sound like a Cardinal fan. I mean, you would
2: have thought from Cubs Nation last night that that win counted as four. Yeah.
0: they still four games back. On that. Still four, four games, games back. back. They can smooch our rear ends. Still four games mm-hmm. back.
2: Yeah. In the rearview mirror uh, boy, yesterday, when you don't make – a, a move at the deadline and obviously I understand reasons why, but of substance. I and mean, then you give up the old twenty mm-hmm. in a game, uh boy, that you have that up and it is a uh, that's a pretty ugly feeling. So, well, here's, here's a better I stat for we, you.
0: How often does a team score nine and lose?
2: I, I know. Yeah, that is <laughs> that is <laughs> that is so true. I know. I I I went to bed before the ninth and I wake up and like, oh they got four in the top of the ninth. Good, you know, uh let's just make that make that look a, look a little bit less ugly in the old box for although to 29 pretty much speaks
0: for itself it's like uh, kevin bowen with us uh kevin bowen evidently from a generation that did not need to set the mood so i want you to be anti that generation <laughs> kev okay i want you okay. to walk i uh, want you to uh you may already be in the house i'm not sure but
2: uh, I should teach Max differently is what you're saying, or I should I should I want Max you
0: to Max walk different. in. You know, once once the kids once the, God, I shouldn't do this, <laughs> but I'm going to I think my uh,
2: father-in-law is listening. Right now,
0: by the way. <laughs> once the kids, because I know, you know, you're getting ready. You Got You know, the kids are off to pre-K. One of the I think Max is off to pre-K right now. So once the uh, yeah, once everything's uh, asleep and ready to go, I want you for the first time and for the first time ever. To set the mood, cue it up, and play this—that's how you do it. The Lover Man, get, Jerry Wade.
2: Can we get Mike Wells to call in right now? <laughs> I'm just picturing Wells on a Friday afternoon.
0: Kev, let me tell you this: back in 1994, I made damn straight be. Out kicking my coverage here. And I had to give the nod to the fellas from Silk because there's a meeting in my bedroom. <laughs> Set the mood, brother. Set the mood one of these days. See how it goes, right? See how it goes.
2: I will, I will, I will report back.
0: All right. Well, we'll see you later on tonight. I don't like it because Stuart Fairchild's in the lineup. I'm a little worried about this.
2: I know. I know. Gonna need a uh, gonna need at least double digit runs, and I don't see that coming from. Tell uh, Dykton uh, from to settle down. Tell
0: Dyketon to settle down and stop acting like a Cardinals douchey fan, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. See you, buddy. Appreciate you. See <laughs> ya. Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline he is the voice of the Colts, taking a day off from his visits from the South Side to Westfield at Grand Park. Matt Taylor joins us. Hello, Matt. I
1: right, can I tell you my Wrigley Field story. Uh, is it bad? Uh well it's just this so this is qu- really quick, two thousand nine, the yes. Red Stink. We're going up there, family and some friends, we go up there to watch the Reds play the Cubs and the Red Stink two thousand nine, right? Like Joey Votto and like Nick Massett and Bronson Arroyo and, and uh Johnny Cueto, Ryan Hannigan, like that that era. And Reds get beat like ten to two. Cubs are really, really good. I think they made the playoffs that year. I'm wearing a Reds hat, I'm wearing a red shirt. And they're just like pummeling me with peanuts and trash and throwing beer in my face. And I'm like I'm I'm not being obnoxious. I'm not being annoying at all. Uh, you know, just the the Reds fans that were in my section just got drilled by Cubs fans that day. So yeah, I, I kind of feel what you're talking about with yeah. the Cubs fans there on the north side. So you, yeah,
0: well, it's the same reason why I think that uh, Arrowhead Stadium's a dump. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> so when I go there, I mean, basically, and you remember this, too, uh, when we all go there, uh, which seems like like years and years ago um, for a playoff game. I, I got pelted with ice balls from the upper deck. and I, I mean, it was so cold I, you couldn't even tell who I was <laughs> there with. I mean, and people around me were, were with the Colts, but they didn't have Colts stuff on. Right. And plus, you walk around that place, remember the weather was so bad it looked like a toilet anyway. It looked like somebody had flushed the toilet and it overflowed in the toilet there. That's exactly what Arrowhead looks like. So I'm I, much like you. I think that place sucks too.
1: Well, I don't think Wrigley sucks. I mean, I think it's a great place to watch a game. Obviously, the history is there, and they've done a terrific job of updating the ballpark with the modern amenities. And, you know, the atmosphere around the ballpark is, I think, second to none with Wrigleyville. But, yeah, I mean, listen, I've I've let it go in terms of, of uh, you know, my <laughs> – of, of my feelings on, on Cubs fans, but yeah, just sitting there minding my own business, not talking junk Come on at all. Now. Come Reds. on, Reds yeah. got destroyed in that game. I'm just there to enjoy a day at the ballpark as a Reds fan, and just got hammered by peanuts and concessions and trash. And I was just like, what? What are we doing? What? What? what what's going on here? Like, is this? Is this really how the whole fan base acts? Which I know they don't, but it's just obviously wrong place, wrong time.
0: I I think some of their fans got so overjoyed and excited about putting 20 up and five against the catcher last night that they probably went (laughs) trough pisser diving after the game there last night like they normally do, right? You get drunk enough there on old style to start uh, diving into the uh, pisser trough.
1: I'm not sure how we're are we supposed to celebrate when you hit a three-run home run <laughs> off the backup catcher that's throwing 65 mile an hour BP in the seventh and eighth inning.
0: I text Tucker this morning. I said, "Hey man, you got better stuff than Bailey does. Let me tell you."
1: <laughs> I know. I was like, I mean, at least try to work in a curveball or something, something off speed maybe, just to kind of yeah. you know uh, adjust the eye level, if you will. But no, that was. I hate games like that when you're down early and the game's over basically by the third yeah, inning. Yeah, you knew and it. You, you knew it. Yeah, you got to play six more innings and it's just. Uh, well, I
0: saw when when Newman tried to make that play at second on that ball, tried to backhand something like he looked like a bad beer league softball player playing second <laughs> right there. I go, oh, this is going to be a long one right here. So it was. Yeah.
1: So. But you're right, just just one game, and uh, I think still in first place. I don't know if Milwaukee won or lost last night. Uh, yeah, they're a
0: half game in front. Milwaukee's playing right now. Milwaukee didn't win last night, but uh, okay. they started the day half game. And, and for, I will say this, nothing's going to tear me down. I'm not even mad at the nerd for not going out and getting any help here at the trade <laughs> deadline because I didn't think there was anything out there that would just so stratospherically help this team. No. I, it's, it's, I think it's just up to them to kind of generate enthusiasm and within this division matt i this going to be just whomever is standing when it's all done here and and we'll see i just don't think you're going to give away some of your major growing up farm system components for something that you know logically could break down and i i just i don't see anything that really could have helped maybe i'm wrong but i didn't see anything out there that could have really helped
1: no, and I heard your interview last year, last week, with Lance McAllister from 700 WLW, and I think you guys were spot on. I mean, this is such a bonus year for the Reds, and just such enjoyment in the fact that, again, I know I'm a broken record on this, but, I mean, just something to look forward to every day. The fact that the Reds are relevant in a playoff push here in August, I mean, that that's something that hasn't existed in the last four or five years. Um, I mean, normally this time, you're thinking about, all right, are they going to lose 100 games? But here they are in first place, and so it's such a bonus year in that regard. You don't want to blow it up, you don't want to sacrifice for the uh, for the future, but also at the same time, I get why people say, hey, nothing's guaranteed. I mean, baseball is kind of like every other major, uh, you know, major uh, sport in North America where nothing's given, and just because you're going to have this core and this nucleus back next season doesn't mean you're going to be in a uh, position to make the playoffs then. So. You know, why not uh, give up a Jonathan India and why not, you know, uh, dip into your farm system to go get a bona fide, you know, extra bat or an extra arm. So I get it. But I like the fact that they're standing pad and and rolling with what kind of got them here. Well, the most
0: awkward part about this is in, in terms of how I feel that that feeling is amplified and built off of losing. That's, you know, I mean, because you look, we, we are so in tune to watching this team this time mm-hmm. of year suck so bad that this is just a, an eye-popping, oh, wow moment that really, regardless of the circumstances that go wrong, I mean, let's just face it. If if it were a more what we felt would be more of a serious, you know, you know, not a, um, you know, having your cake and eating it, too, or, you know, whatever that the uh, you know, whatever the cliche might be here mm-hmm. um, as far as everything being gravy right now now then we'd probably be more upset about the fact they gave up 20 last night but really in a season like this where it's right. such a surprise and really it's on top of so much losing in the past I mean it it, it takes a lot to break you down I think at this point with the way this team has played
1: well it's funny you say that I mean that, that exists in my household I mean my wife will look at me and she's like you know when they lose you don't you don't get upset, you know, like you're not muttering things yeah. around the house after uh, after the ninth inning when they when they lose. I'm like, you can't because you didn't see this coming, and it's just been enjoyable. And like last night, they lost twenty to five or whatever, but it's still only one loss, and they're still in first place. Like, yeah, the Brewers nothing-
0: lost this afternoon too. They lost on the road in Washington, three yeah, two. Fantastic.
1: So I mean, there's nothing to complain about. I mean, even when you know they stubbed their toe following the All Star break, it, it's still you have to put everything into perspective as far as you know what this year is, what it was supposed to be, and just enjoy the fact that all of these guys are so much uh, you know, further along than anybody thought they would be, including the front office, right? The front office should be given credit for the plan and, and being disciplined to, to stick with it, considering how the last couple of years have gone. But yeah, you just know that these guys can play even better than what they're showing right now, and I think that probably comes next year. But just enjoy this ride, enjoy this wave and see how long this young core can can take it here this year.
0: Matt Taylor who is the voice of the Colts, they're back at it practice coming up tomorrow, and he'll be up there in Westfield obviously doing what he does. And you know, I have equated really a little bit of what we see with the Reds to what is necessary with the Colts and a lot of what we saw from the Pacers a year ago. And I have put it like this you understand sell it and you over deliver and then in the process of playing this season then nobody's automatically saying you know they're going to lose games or whatever you have to accept that but in terms of what the Colts are saying and how they're doing it you undersell it, you over-deliver, and you give the fans excitement and reason to believe longer-term. That's exactly what the Pacers did a year ago. That's exactly what the Reds are doing right now at a higher level, but certainly are doing right now. And I think that there are aspects of both that would be a formula for the Colts to hopefully go by going into the season.
1: And I think that's kind of the way they like it. I mean, right now, you, are, you kind of already saw that, that uh Under under undersell over deliver uh, motto. I don't know if it was on purpose or it just worked out that way, but I mean we're seeing that already with Shaq Leonard. I mean last Tuesday with Chris Ballard when he spoke to the media before camp started was you know Shaq's going to be out there. He's cleared the physical, but we're going to take it slow. Right, he's going to be doing some individual drills. We're not sure yet about eleven on eleven. Don't know yet about full contact. Well, uh, outside the last couple days when they've gone full pads and and close to full contact in eleven. 11. Shaq Leonard's done way more than, you know, what kind of Chris Ballard led on to last Tuesday, which is all positive, all encouraging things. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the national media and you know, the the Vegas odds don't have the Colts, um, you know, a, you know a, one of those teams that's going to, you know, compete, if you will, on paper with the Kansas City Chiefs or the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, based on all the national prognostications. And I think the Colts kind of like it that way. I mean, this is kind of a la reminiscent of of 2012, Andrew Luck's first year. I mean, You know, when Chuck came in, he had those T-shirts made, you know, the the, the BTM shirts, the Build the Monster, and the power rankings with the Colts dead last at 32, according to ESPN.com. But the T-shirt had the Colts bolded and, you know, really big uh, italicized letters there at at number 32 in the power rankings. And I think that's kind of where, you know, this team is right now in terms of not a lot of expectations outside of the building. But internally, they know they've got Pro Bowl players at just about every... Major position, right? You uh, offensive line. Uh, when Jonathan Taylor hopefully comes back off of PUP, he's a Pro Bowl caliber player at running back, one of the best players at his position in the NFL. You've got Shaq Leonard, they've got Zaire Franklin, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman. These guys, these guys can all play, and then you've got you know key contributors coming in, you know, in, in, at different uh, levels and, and different positions. You mean obviously Anthony Richardson is front and center. Josh Downs was drafted. Hopefully, soon they can get some of these young, long corners back on the field and Juju Brent's and Darius Rush. So, I mean, internally, they don't give a you know what about the outside expectations. Um, the culture just getting better every single day in training camp. You're seeing that. And I think it's been kind of a methodical approach to the start of camp with Shane Steichen and how he's approaching practice, ramping each day up in terms of length of practice and physicality and intensity. Um, but no, I think this Colts team is is gonna surprise a lot of people in terms of how competitive they are and you know, if they get the quarterback uh, rounded into form, whether that's Minshew or Richardson, um that they can do something, man. I mean, it's crazy to think that every year there's always teams that make the playoffs that didn't the year before or teams that finish worse in their division Uh, one year that go on the next year to win their division. I mean, that was the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. So this isn't basketball. This isn't baseball. These turnarounds can happen really, really close because these games are all decided by, you know, seven points or less seemingly. They're all decided by uh, the last four minutes of games. So the Colts are just trying to get better in those key areas. Areas, and that's one area they really floundered last year was, you know, fourth quarter closing games out and winning those tight one score contested games.
0: What's been your gig up there? Because obviously, I don't go out there until they do. The uh, late afternoon and early evening practices, which I think are coming at the the end of camp, and I'll be up mm-hmm. there. But what's what's been your priorities, job wise, up there? What have you been doing?
1: Well, the crowds have been great. So, uh, just Mo- most like-
0: excited we've ever seen around here, by the way, too, for a variety of reasons. I've listed them, but yeah, the the most uh, highly anticipated camp that we have ever seen around here. Is yeah, this one.
1: I mean the, the the crowd and the the atmosphere sort of uh, confirms that. I mean, you're up there with, I mean, five and six, and I think a. Sellout crowd is just north of seven thousand fans. We saw that over the weekend on Saturday at the night practice. Uh, so uh, you know, doing some MC work and and uh, telling people what's going on during camp uh, when you know practice is physically going on, and then after practice we're doing you're like a strip club DJ
0: up there. Is that what you're
1: doing? <laughs> I joke. I'm, I'm I'm the Ryan Seacrest of Colts camp. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm up there, you know, answering questions uh, and again just kind of transitioning the practice from one period to the next on the PA. Uh, um, which I think is good for the fans to kind of it lets them know you know what they're watching, what they can expect, you know when's practice over, who's signing autographs, all that good stuff. Uh, then after practice, you know interviewing players, doing media availability, you know hearing what the players and the coaches have to say after the uh, the respective days, and then doing uh, podcasts and radio shows. So if I could uh, plug our, our Colts Audio Network, uh, we do have a, a camp daily recap after each practice every day. Uh, we will talk to I think. Kylan Granton tomorrow and then coming up over the weekend. Will Fries is going to join us from the offensive line. Uh, i trying to think who's going to join us on Sunday off the top of my head. Was that I'm you and Gorman too? Yeah, the Gorman's up there. We've talked to Shaq Leonard. We've talked to uh, Josh Downs. He joined the podcast yesterday. So we we intermix the interviews with uh, just kind of a daily recap. Myself and J.J. Stangevitz from uh, Colts.com and then you've got all the other good stuff that we do up there as well. Like I said, the official uh, podcast, which drops on Tuesdays. Uh, Inside Football with Rick Venturi. Oh, yeah. Yesterday, that first episode uh, came out yesterday. We're going to do that every Wednesday. So we stay plenty Busy up there uh, at camp uh, before, during, and after practice.
0: Well, I talked to Rick last week, and he's going to come out. I think as we get closer and closer to the beginning of the regular season, when I do a, a uh, on-site remote, and he's just going to spend much of the afternoon with me right there. So that's going to be outstanding too. Can't yep. wait for that. So
1: yeah, just tee it up, let him go. That's how it rolls. Oh man. yeah, <laughs> I talked to him.
0: I, I talked to him last Friday, so we had maybe a forty-minute or. I know he's this time of year excites him.
1: No, he was really, really jacked up yesterday. We did the podcast. It's up right now, by the way, Colts.com and Colts Audio Network, anywhere you download your podcast. But he said this was number 42 for him, his 42nd uh, training camp. And that's just where he. That's, that's where he's in his, his element, man. That's where he's most comfortable. It's kind of like Shane Steichen in that regard. And, you know, he's already, you know, taking really good copious notes on Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew. And uh, he's got some really good thoughts, obviously, as a former defensive coordinator and secondary coach has some good thoughts on what the Colts have going on right now with, as I said, Brents and Darius Rush being out, but that's opened the door for guys like Dallas Flowers and Daryl Baker Jr. to run at cornerback, and he kind of agrees with uh, Ron Miles. You know, those two have a good history together, and they've coached it at prior stops. I mean, I don't think between the two of them, uh, they have seen a younger uh, cornerback room that's going to have to potentially play big-time roles. You know, uh, with Baker, a guy that was basically on the practice squad last year, undrafted free agent a couple years ago from Georgia Southern. Obviously, Dallas Flowers is a D2 guy out of Pittsburgh State, and now these guys might be thrusted into the starting roles if these uh, young guys, these rookies, don't come off of injury soon, but based on the way they're playing and based on the confidence that Gus Bradley and again Ron Miles have in them, it might be hard to take them off the field considering all the time they're getting time on task and they're looking pretty good doing it.
0: So Matt Taylor, you'll hear him coming up. Maybe even see him coming up tomorrow too. Rest of the time with that nice little drive from the south side of Indy up to Westfield. Every day getting stuff done. The voice of the Colts is Matt Taylor. Matt, I appreciate you as always, man. We'll see you up there. You got it, man. Let me know. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast. I promise you that. Promise. See you, buddy. All right, man. Be good.